0: how one becomes a christian the first talk in a series entitled what we believe answers to questions was presented by ron julian on march 18th 2001 at reformation fellowship the copyright for this recording is held by gutenberg college inc 2001 gutenberg college is a non-profit organization and contributions may be made at www.gutenberg.edu This material may be copied and distributed in whole for non-commercial and educational purposes, subject to the inclusion of this introduction. All other rights reserved. A brief break occurs in the middle of the following recording. It is the result of the original audio tape switching to the second
1: side. Good morning. We are, as you can probably tell, about to start a new series. Recently... Uh, We took a couple of weeks to talk about kind of how this church came to be and just a little bit about how we ended up being the unusual place that we are. Uh, And as a part of those discussions, a number of questions came up about what we believe and why we do things the way we do around here and so on. Um, In the midst of that discussion, I really tried to make a distinction Between, on the one hand, the circumstances and the personalities involved here that have led us to be the way we are, and on the other hand, the beliefs that have shaped us. The one part of that is very negotiable. Circumstances change. Uh, How we respond to our circumstances can change. Uh, Our personalities are what they are, but we can fight them. We can decide that Aspects of our personality need to be resisted and can resist them So there are all kinds of changes that we can make around here just because we ended up a certain way It doesn't mean that we're locked in concrete On the other hand when we come to the beliefs that have shaped what we are the beliefs are not negotiable We as a group the people who are teaching here are committed to the authority of the Bible and if we're convinced that the Bible is teaching something, then we can and we should do nothing else but to submit to that truth and try to live in the light of it. I mean, I think you all know that's the, that's the kind of commitment we have here. What I'm starting to do today is to talk about some of the beliefs that we have around here when it comes to various issues. Uh, I think I'm calling this series What We Believe. I'll get back to you on that. I may change my mind. But right now I'm calling it What We Believe. Um, The problem with that title is I have to define what we mean by we there. Um, Obviously, if if I were to be saying what every one of us here as a group would agree to, that's not quite right, probably, because I'm sure that if we were to poll everybody, we would find various perspectives on various things. Do I mean to say then that this is what the leadership here in this church believes? Well, sort of, yeah, I sort of mean that. Uh, I am reluctant to speak for anyone. At any given point, there may be a particular thing that I say that somebody else who teaches here might not agree with. Um, Jack is a real problem, as you know. But basically, what I'm setting out to do here is to talk about where we're coming from on a variety of issues now what are we going to be talking about this is not my purpose here is not to lay out a systematic theology of everything that's not what i'm setting out to do really in a way another title for this series just could be answers to questions because i'm really dealing with a number of questions that people have been asking about well so why do we do this and what do you guys think about baptism and what's going on with worship and prayer and so on and so those are the kinds of questions that i'm setting out to answer there are two kinds of questions that i've been getting i have gotten some questions that are some pretty fundamental and basic questions about what being a christian is all about and then there are specific questions about practices, baptism, and worship, and things like that. So I'm going to try to deal with both of those. And I still, uh, I got some feedback from some of you last week. That was good. But I still invite you, if you have topics that you think it would be good for us to address. Um, I'm not making any promises, but let me know about it, and I'll try to try to take it into consideration. Today, I'm going to talk about a question that I was asked is probably a pretty basic and fundamental question. Some of you here, what I'm going to say this morning will be old hat. You could answer this question for yourself. For some of you, maybe it wouldn't be. The question I was asked is, how do you become a Christian? And that's the topic I want to talk about today. In the history of the church, it seems to me, there have been two sort of popular answers to this question, how a person becomes a Christian and how they think about that. For a large part of Western history and in a lot of the world, you became a Christian just by being a member of the community in which you were born. A lot of churches were state churches. If you were a citizen of this particular country, then you were a Christian. That's To to not be a Christian was not only to make a religious mistake, but it was to be a traitor. I mean, your loyalty to your country and your loyalty to the church were basically one and the same. So, the question, how do you become a Christian, would have been meaningless. You are a Christian. Uh, And you would, as you grow up, there would be various ceremonies that we would go through involving confirmation and so on that would that would say, yes, I, as I come into my adulthood, am reconfirming that I am, in fact, the Christian that I have always said I was. You can understand that a state has a certain need for external conformity and order, and so the state's need for that order put a certain amount of pressure on people to conform externally. I and mean, whatever it is I might be thinking inside, I am a Christian on the outside. I, I am a part of a community that believes this stuff about Jesus. So that's one of the actually pretty popular models of how you become a Christian. You just come into it, and it was never questioned. Uh, that's one of the things that Soren Kierkegaard really objected to in his country was the whole idea that, you ask, you, know, you ask me, am I a Christian? Of course I'm a Christian, I'm Danish, aren't I? I mean, that's, that's the way people would have thought about it, which drove him crazy. Um, okay, so in reaction to that kind of picture, there's another model that has come up that we're more familiar with. But this model emphasizes the personal decision. And culturally, it came to manifest itself, particularly in our country and in our culture, in the emphasis on um, a certain kind of decision of evangelism. I'm pushing for the decision. I'm going out, I'm proclaiming the gospel, and I am pushing you to sign on the dotted line and, and pray the prayer and go forward and so on. And in this model, the the emphasis is very much on I'm going to tell you certain facts about Jesus and you're going to say yes, those facts are true, you're going to pray a certain prayer, you're going to go forward in church, you're going to be baptized, and then you will be a Christian. That model is so familiar to us that we might not ever question that there was any other way to think about it. But the fact is, that's actually in some ways a somewhat more recent development again in that model because there's this resistance to the idea that you know you'd grow up as a christian in this model you need to demonstrate that you personally have made the decision people ask you that question are you born again and what we mean by that question is have you just do you just have one of those cultural sort of religions that you grew up in, or have you personally prayed the prayer, and are you born again again there's a certain amount of emphasis on a certain external conformity. Did you pray the prayer? Have you gone forward? Have you been baptized um, because it 's not enough just to be a member of the church you 've got to you 've got to make this decision well. I think both of these models have some aspects of truth to them, and, but both of them are missing something. They're not really the biblical picture. If we were to ask ourselves, how does the Bible describe becoming a Christian? I think there's something else at work, some, a different model of what it is we're being called upon to do. So that's what I want to talk about this morning. We're going to have to talk about a series of biblical words here in order to talk about this. And the first one we should talk about is the word Christian. If we're talking about becoming a Christian, what do we mean by that? The word Christian comes from the word Christ, which is the Greek word Christos, which means anointed one. Jesus is referred to as the Christ, the anointed one. The Hebrew word for the same thing is Mashiach, or we say Messiah. So, Christ, Messiah, Anointed One, all of those are just titles that have been given to Jesus, and we'll talk here in a minute more about what that means. But basically, it means he is one who has been given this title, who has been chosen and anointed by God to play a certain role. A Christian, then, is one who believes that Jesus is the Christ and who is following him as the Christ. A Christian is one who is following the teachings of Christ, who is Jesus. The Bible only uses the word Christian three times. It's not a a word that the Bible uses very often. Probably the most interesting one is in Acts. We've seen it already as Jack's been going through Acts. When Paul goes to Antioch where a group of Gentiles has have formed together into a church, it says that the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. There in Antioch is the first time anybody started to refer to these people who believe in Jesus as Christians, those who believe that Jesus is the Christ. Now that's an interesting little footnote, but the reason I wanted to point it out to us is because of what it says. The disciples were first called Christians in Antioch? The word Christian is not hardly used in the Bible at all. The word that is used over and over again for those who follow Christ is disciple. Jesus didn't say to his apostles, go out and make Christians of all the nations. He said, go out and make disciples of all the nations. So the first part of my answer then is, if you want to know how do you become a Christian, you become a disciple of Jesus. Okay, so what does that mean? So now we need to talk about the word disciple, because that's really at the heart of it. The Bible uses this word over and over again. And there are three things I want to say about this. First of all, let's talk about what it means. The word disciple means something like a combination of student and follower. A teacher has students, has disciples. Jesus is a teacher and he is calling us to be his students. Jesus is the master and he is calling us to be his followers. This was a very culturally understood model at the time of the New Testament. You may have heard of the concept of a rabbi who was a teacher. That was the Aramaic word for teacher. And... The teacher, it's not like if you go to the U of O and you have a teacher there who's teaching you know, geography or something like that. You go, you listen, you can take it or leave it. I mean, you just he says some things, you write them down, you repeat it back, you get a grade and you leave. It's not that kind of teacher-student relationship. These are students who have come to a particular rabbi, a particular teacher, because they think he understands something about life. And they are coming to him and saying to him, in essence, you teach us what you know. We think you're right about things. We want to understand things the way you do. And so they would become his students. They would become his followers. He would teach them truths about things. He would give them practices, things that they should do. He would order their lives in a certain way. That's what we are being called to do with Jesus. To come to him and acknowledge that he is the master, he is the teacher, and we're here to learn from him. That's what we are being called to do. Is to be those students, those followers of this man Jesus. Second point. This is an unusual kind of discipleship. If you stop and we're so used to this language, many of us that we haven't quite thought about sometimes, I think, how unique and unusual this situation is that the New Testament is calling us to. Jesus emphasized this with his apostles, with those initial disciples that he sent out to represent him. He, he really prepared them for this idea. I'm going away, he said. I'm not going to be around. And I want you to go out and make disciples for me. You and I are followers and students of a guy that we have never met in person. It's really important for us to be clear about this picture. Here I am standing up in front, but you're not my disciples. My job is to explain what I think Jesus was teaching and his apostles were teaching and to call you to follow it. But you have to decide whether I'm right. You're not following me. Every single thing I say, ultimately, you've got to stop and ask yourself, is this the straight deal? Is this true? Because you're not following me, you're following Jesus. We're not disciples of Paul or Peter either, those initial apostles, I mean the initial disciples of Jesus. Jesus sent them out as his representatives and they had authority. They spoke in his name, he taught them, and they're telling us what he taught. So we ought to listen to them, but we're not their disciples either. And they make that very clear. Paul, Peter, you, I, all of us together are students and followers of Jesus. How do we know what Jesus taught? Well, we know it through what was written down. We know through what his prophets and apostles set down for us in the Bible. Third point, just because I'm a disciple doesn't mean that I am going to inherit eternal life in the end. Being a disciple means I have come to Jesus, I'm calling myself a Christian, a follower of Christ, and I am a student listening to Him and following Him. But the Bible pictures that many disciples decided somewhere along the line that they didn't want to be disciples anymore. There's a very famous one in John 6 where Jesus starts talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And everybody just gets really weirded out by what the stuff that he's talking about. And it says, as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and they were not walking with him anymore. A student can decide to stop being a student. Or a student can be kind of a half-hearted student. Say, yeah, yeah, I'm in this class, but... I'm not really there. Jesus described what a true disciple looks like. He says, If you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Abide in my word. That means to remain. If, in other words, if you hear me out and stay my disciple... You don't take off like the rest of the crowd, but you, when you start to understand what it is that I'm really getting at and what I'm asking you to do and what I'm asking you to believe, if you stay with me, then you're a true disciple of mine and you will come to know the truth and the truth will set you free. So, you want to know what the Bible is calling you to Do you want to know what being a Christian looks like? There's one way to describe it, a very biblical way to describe what it looks like. Be a student and a follower of Jesus, the man you have never seen, and remain committed to him as teacher and master for your entire life. So my simple answer to the question, how do you become a Christian, is submit permanently to Jesus as your teacher and your master. That's what the Bible says. That's the picture it paints. Now, obviously, that's not really good enough I mean, that's a right answer, but it only begins to answer the question. You and I both know that when we go to this teacher that he's not going to start talking about calculus or geography or any of the kinds of things that you might study down at the U of O. He has something else to talk about. Jesus wants me to learn from him and follow him but what is he teaching where is he going what is he asking me to do well obviously in one way that's something that takes my whole life to work out but there is a simple answer to that and i want to concentrate on just one passage this morning that that gives us i think a good insight into what it is that Jesus, the teacher and master, is calling us to do. This is, uh, you don't need to turn here because we're going to look at it for all of five seconds, but uh, the passage is in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. And after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Here's this summary that Mark gives of the message that Jesus went around proclaiming. And his message was, in essence, repent and believe in the gospel. As we move through the New Testament, I would argue that we find this message is unchanged. This is not just some early version of the message and Paul comes along and turns it into something else. This is always the message. Repent and believe in the gospel. So what does that mean? Well, let's start then talking about this word gospel. I've come to Jesus. I'm asking him, what is it you want me to know? What is it you want me to do? And he says, believe in the gospel. What's the gospel? The word gospel, and I can never decide whether it was a good idea for us to translate it with a word like this. This was a very common, ordinary, everyday word in greek that meant good news it's the sort of word that you would use if some some big deal was happening say your armies were off fighting a battle somewhere and everyone in your country is waiting to hear you know we didn't have the internet or satellite tv or any of that kind of stuff you would have to wait For a messenger to come from this battle or whatever was going on to tell you how did it turn out. The messenger is going to be coming, and if he brings you tidings that say we've lost and the armies of the enemy are on their way here and they'll be here any day, this is bad news. This is like, this is terrible. This is not what you wanted to hear. But if they say we have been victorious, and our armies are coming back in triumph. We are free from our enemies. We can live in peace. This is the news that you wanted to hear. This is the stuff that you were really hoping would happen. Well, this word that we've, in English, translate as gospel, is a word like that. It means good news, the glad tidings. It's the happy news, the thing that I've been wanting to hear. So what Jesus is saying, I mean everyone would have recognized the kind of thing he's saying. He's saying, "Repent and believe in the good news that I am proclaiming." There is this good news and I'm asking you to believe it. Okay. Well, that sounds great. So what is this news? What if the if the news is so great if I've been waiting to hear how did this all turn out? What is that news? What is it that we ought to have been waiting to hear? How did it turn out? Well, it's a story something like this. I'll just try to make this simple. The world that I live in did not come about through chance. We are the creation of God. God exists, God is real, and God is good and powerful beyond our understanding. I am not alone in this world. I did not come about by chance. God exists, and he decided that I would be. However, there is something tragically wrong with us, and we can recognize it as we look around. Maybe we don't know quite how to put our finger on it, but there's something wrong. We as human beings, are. there's something going on in our heads that isn't quite right. We are in rebellion against the truth. We ought to be grateful to God. He created us. He is good. He's the source of life. We ought to submit to His wisdom, learn from Him what it is that life ought to be. Instead, we ignore Him, reject Him, distort the truth about Him, trivialize Him, make Him our little pet God, anything but see Him As the powerful, sovereign creator of all reality that he is, we are traitors who have cut ourselves off from the very source of our lives. That's the truth about us, that's what we are. Also, we ought to see each other as fellow creatures, each of us just as valuable and important as we ourselves are. God made me, God made you. And each of us has worth and dignity as a creature of God. But somehow we have gotten things twisted. Because in order to treat you as important as myself means that sometimes I'm going to have to give up. Sometimes I'm going to have to lose. My interests are not always going to prevail. And that's the one thing that we don't want to happen. The two great commandments are to love God and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And the great indictment against us, every one of us as human beings, is that we don't love God and we don't love our neighbor as ourselves. What's the result of all of that? Life is painful and unfulfilling because it was not meant to be lived like this. We hurt ourselves, we hurt each other. Death is waiting to rob us of everything that we can accomplish in this life. And one day we will stand before the judgment seat of God and we deserve to be rejected and condemned. Okay, so you're saying, so where's the good news part? Well, you understand, it's like the battle. Why do I care about the, the results of the battle? Because I start with the bad news that there's a war happening and I want to know how it's turning out. The good news isn't really good until you understand what the problem is. And I just have to tell you that if what I just described as our problem as human human beings doesn't ring true to you, then what I'm going to describe as the good news is not going to seem all that good because it's good in exact proportion to how much I understand how bad our situation is. The worse I see my situation, the better this news becomes. The good news is that God promised that he would do something about this. He has reached out to humanity through a particular family on this earth, specifically the descendants of Abraham, the Jews. He came to Abraham, without Abraham really seeking him or even knowing all that much about him, and said, I'm going to work through you. Through the descendants of Abraham, the prophets that he sent, and so on, He has been telling us about His intention to save us, to rescue us from the situation that we're in. First of all, we're guilty. Before a holy and righteous God, we don't deserve His favor. And yet He has announced His intention to reach out and forgive. Our heads and our hearts are messed up. We're selfish and darkened in our understanding. We're foolish. God's reaching out To change that, to change our hearts, to give us understanding and wisdom, to change us from being evil to being good. We are bound to die, but He is reaching out to conquer death. Right now, if I look around the world that I live in, everything seems to be out of God's control. I mean, it really feels that way. If I come along and tell you that there is this God who made everything, the feeling that I get when I think about that is, yeah, so where is He? And why is everything the way it is? Because it seems like our hearts are ruled, are conquered by evil. And my body has been conquered and ruled by death and I look around the world around me, and the civilizations that I see around me are ruled by evil and foolish people who prevail, who, who bring about injustice and suffering. The whole thing seems to be out of God's control. God is the sovereign king over everything. Evil's ruling in my heart. Death is ruling in my body. Evil men are ruling over creation. Where's God? Well... What he announced through his prophets is his intention to step into his creation and impose his rule on everything. His goodness and love is going to rule in our hearts finally. His life is going to rule in our bodies, conquering death. And his chosen king, the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One, is going to rule over all creation forever in righteousness and justice. So everything that is wrong will be made right because God is going to impose His rule upon it in a way that He has not done yet. This rule of God, God taking and imposing His will on creation in my heart and in my body and in all of creation, That rule of God, the Old Testament referred to as the kingdom of God. It is that time when the world is like a kingdom being ruled by a king, and that king is God. And His rule is brought about through a particular person, a man, the Messiah, the Christ. When His kingdom comes in its fullness, then I will not die and all evil will be flushed from my life and all of creation will be as it should be under the rule of Christ. That's the kingdom of God that was proclaimed in the Old Testament. Well, the good news then, the gospel, is the proclamation that what God promised in the Old Testament, He has accomplished in the person of Jesus. There were hundreds of years when the Jews had heard those promises that God was going to establish His kingdom and were waiting for that day to come. The good news was that day has come, in a sense, because the King has come. The one who is bringing about God's purposes has come to the world. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. The gospel, the good news, was the proclamation that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises God had made. God is keeping those promises. He is doing it through Jesus, and He has demonstrated that Jesus is the one by raising Him from the dead. Jesus came to bring us forgiveness and to change our hearts and to rescue us from death. That's what He came to do. That's what He accomplished. So, his message was then when Jesus is going around saying, Repent and believe in the good news, the good news was, I, Jesus, am the Messiah. I am the one who has come to bring about the promises that God has made. His message was, Believe this good news. Further, his message was, Repent. And believe this good news to repent means to change your mind to turn around to recognize that you are going down the wrong road and take the right road it's like it's like when you get in some argument with someone and 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 it gets pitched and fevered and you start to say things that you shouldn't say because you're angry and upset and stubborn And then there comes this certain point. You go away and you think about it and you come back and say, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that stuff. I was being a jerk. That moment where you stop fighting reality and you recognize, no, no, no. I was just wrong. This is not, I shouldn't have said that. That's what repentance is. It's that place where you where you face into the reality that you have been avoiding and say, no, I was wrong. Th- this is what it's all about. In order to believe the gospel, the good news, we have to repent. Because believing the gospel is not like believing that France exists or that Henry VIII was the king of England or something like that. It's not just some isolated fact that I can easily believe and then go on and live the rest of my life. If the gospel is true, then I have been wrong in how I have been living and what I have been thinking. I have been living as if God were not God. I have been living as if I am the center of the universe. I have been living as if I am not guilty before God. I've been living as if my problem is that I don't have enough money and I don't have enough success and power and fame or whatever. In order to believe the gospel, I've got to turn around. I've got to let go of one picture of life and pick up another one. Okay. So, let me try to bring this down back to the answer to the question that I was asked How do you become a Christian? It's easy. You become a student and follower of Jesus of Nazareth. And you listen to what he has to say, and you believe it and follow it. And what is it he has to say? He has a lot to say. But in a nutshell, we could say, he wants to tell me what my real problem is. I have not loved God. I have not loved my neighbor. I am going to die. I am going to be judged and condemned. That's my real problem. He tells me that he is the king who has been sent by God to solve these problems. To bring forgiveness, to bring a change of heart, to bring eternal life. He tells me that I have been wrong about what is true and important and I need to change my mind and follow him. Throughout my life, The truths that he is teaching is going to hit me again and again. Some of what he is teaching is very hard, and sometimes I don't want to hear it. Sometimes I don't want to repent. I like the way I'm living. I like the way I'm thinking about things. I like being center of the universe. It suits me. And yet, ultimately, I do not abandon him as my teacher and my master, but I continue to believe him and follow him And accept the implications of what he's teaching me. That's how you become a Christian. That's what it means to be a disciple. Now, part of the reason I want to paint the picture the way I have. First of all, I think that's a biblical picture. If you want to know what we have been called upon to do, that is what we have been called upon to do. I want to contrast that with the picture that we get sometimes about what this involves. It's very easy. I mean, it's not hard to run across people who will they will have a little book for you or something that they want to talk to you about and say, here's what you need to do. Believe this, believe this, believe this, and pray this prayer. Have you prayed the prayer? thats If you have, then you're a Christian. Have you not prayed the prayer? Well then, I don't know. Or have you gone forward in church? Because if you haven't gone forward in church, then it's not official yet. There in the Bible's terms, the Bible doesn't talk about that sort of stuff at all. You can't I can't take you to the Bible where it shows you the prayer you're supposed to pray when you become a Christian because it isn't in there. It doesn't tell you that. Is there anything wrong with praying a prayer when you become a Christian? No. I prayed a prayer when I became a Christian. I mean, I was, my life is one of, I was a, an atheist who at a particular moment in time submitted to the truth that God was God. I mean, I could say, here I didn't believe that God was God, and here I did. I mean, classic sort of conversion sort of deal. But a lot of people I know could never point to a time like that in their lives when something like that happened. They just grew up in the church and they just always sort of believed in God. It doesn't matter how you start because it isn't a matter of a particular ritual or a particular prayer or something like that. What matters is that Jesus is your teacher and master and that you never abandon him as such. That's what matters. It doesn't matter how you got there. The question is, where are you now? as you're sitting there right now, are you willing for this man that you have never met to tell you how to live your life? To tell you what is true and important about life? Are you willing to be his disciple? You think he knows what he's talking about? If you're willing to be his disciple, then you're a Christian. That's what a Christian is. I also would like to emphasize that it's not particularly a matter of knowing and believing a certain checklist of doctrines. And this is a very controversial thing to say, I know, because we all have have been inundated with the idea that what it means to be a Christian is that here are these things that you know. How do I know that that... I'm a Christian and not a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness or something like that. Well, there are these all of these things that I click, 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 let's check them off. And if I can say yes to all of those things, then I'm a Christian and I'm okay. There is a relationship between what I believe and my status before God, but it is not so simple as that picture that we paint. Each disciple comes in knowing different things and growing in their understanding in different ways again i don't i don't want to my life is not the model of how it's supposed to work but i think i'm a good example of of how this kind of thing can happen when i became a christian i didn't know anything about it i i went from resisting the idea that God existed to acknowledging that He was there. And basically saying, okay, so what's this all about? So, I'm looking at the Bible, I'm listening to Christians. I had no idea. I mean, I didn't even, I didn't even really know that Christians believe that when you die, that you are raised from the dead and live eternally. This was not a part of the deal. This wasn't what I was thinking about. When I became a Christian, I had one thing on my mind. Is God there? Do I need to submit to the truth of God and find out what's going on from Him, or is it just a story people made up? That was the issue. The biblical picture of doctrine and and how it relates to where we stand before God It is not that you have a list of doctrines and you sign up and you say yes to them and then you know that you're a Christian. The issue is, what ultimately am I willing to accept? It's not how much I know, but in the end, when I am confronted with the truth, will I ultimately accept it or do I run away from it and reject it? That's the issue. As a disciple of Jesus, I'm going to confront all kinds of issues. All kinds of things that I may not be prepared to deal with at first. I may not know anything about. Let me give you a, a, an example. I think it's almost universal among just the, in the culture of Christians that I'm aware of that, that Christians would say, in order to be saved, you have to believe that Jesus is God. That's too simplistic a way to put it, I would say. Certainly, I'd say, we should be worried about someone who hears the biblical teaching about God becoming man in Jesus and refuses to believe it. Why? What, what's the hang-up here? What, what's the problem? Why won't you believe it? But there's nothing in the Bible that says that you have to know and understand that before you can repent and become a disciple. Have you ever, I mean, I just invite you. In fact, one of the topics I'm going to talk about in this series, I want to talk about the issue of our view of the Godhead. Because the, it's a very striking thing. If you look at the way the church deals with this question, we, it's like it is the touchstone. Do you believe that Jesus is God? Yes or no? And yet, there are an awful lot of people who would say yes to that question who have no idea what they mean or what that what they're even saying yes to. And there are others. I would put myself among because I started reading the Bible and what I discovered was, you know, the Bible almost never talks about that. It's not that it never talks about it. It does talk about it in certain key spots. But actually considering how momentous a claim that is it very rarely gets mentioned if you look at we've been going through the sermons in acts one of the striking things in the sermons that peter and paul teach in acts when you look at it is they don't proclaim the message that jesus is god they say he's the messiah he is the i mean peter uses language like god chose this man, Jesus, to be the Messiah. That sounds like straight out what they'd call adoptionist heresy. You know, there's just this guy, and God came along and says, that looks like a good guy, I think I'll pick him. Well, you couldn't read Peter's sermon and disprove adoptionist theology from what he said. I mean, he just said he's this man that God chose to be the Messiah. That's his message. And yet thousands of people believed that message and it says they were saved. Presumably, those thousand people have not yet really confronted the question of who is this guy Jesus and how did he get to be the Messiah and, and what should I think about him? But they have become disciples. They have heard the message. God chose him. He raised him from the dead. Salvation is found in him. And they have come and said, yes. That's what we want. And they found salvation in doing so. And now, we go along and learn more about it. The issue isn't how much you know and how much you're signed on with. The question is, from a biblical perspective, I would argue, what are you willing to believe? And that's something that is going to work itself out over time. So, becoming a Christian is not so much a matter of praying a certain prayer or going forward or going through a certain ritual. There is one ritual involved with it, baptism that we will talk about along the line. But being a Christian is not so much about praying a certain prayer or going through a certain ritual, and it is not about having a particular set of doctrines that you agree to. Being a Christian means I have heard the story about Jesus of Nazareth, who He is, what He is doing. I am willing to be taught and led by him now teach me what life is about that's how you become a Christian it's an inner thing ultimately it's a decision I have to make inside it's hard to come up with rituals and ceremonies and prayers and things that will capture it and say here this is it you do this and you're in because it's not like that ultimately it's between you and God inside have you bowed the knee before God or not? I'm always reminded, I can't remember the story exactly, but Jack tells us all the time about the, the story about the, the kid who doesn't want to sit down in some situation and finally he's forced to sit down and he sits down and he says, well, I'm sitting down on the outside but I'm standing up on the inside. The issue is not whether I have bowed the knee ex- externally, but whether I have bowed the knee inside. If I have bowed the knee inside, submitted myself to Jesus and said, you're the one, tell me what it's about, then I'm a Christian. Okay, well, let me take a a minute for a few questions then. Like I say, this is kind of a different sort of talk than a lot of them are going to be, but I wanted to start out with, with kind of the basics here. I see that hand.
0: This is just a quick question of clarification. Uh-huh. And this is your example of your life. Right. You define being a Christian as being a follower of Jesus, right. a disciple of Jesus. When you made that decision yourself, you you wouldn't have described yourself as a follower of Jesus because you didn't even know where Jesus was in that picture. You were submitting to God. So, as you, in your description, how does that? Would you could you have really called yourself a Christian then? And how do you? Explain that.
1: Right. I, I should have explained, I, I would have called myself a Christian, and I would, because remember, Christian means follower of Jesus, someone who believes that Jesus is the Christ. I, I knew that Jesus went with the package. I, I guess I didn't explain that clearly enough. In my, I mean, you know, it was Christians I was talking to. When I came to believe in God, I knew that Jesus went along with the package. I just didn't know what the package was. If you had asked me right at that moment, so you believe Jesus is the Christ, I would have said, sure. <laughs> Whatever. You tell me. You tell me what I believe. I mean, I'm just starting. <laughs> I don't know what I believe. I mean, all I know is, I think, I think the God who's revealed himself in the Bible is really there. That's what I've decided. I don't know much about him. I don't know, I don't know anything about him, actually. But I'm willing to find out. So yeah, I would have called myself a Christian. I, I did. I mean, I said to people, "I' become a Christian." but I have to tell you that it was years as a Christian before I started to be personally have some sort of sense of who Jesus was and what he was about. I was really I've said this before, I know, but I was really kind of disturbed and embarrassed by the fact that for a number of years, I was a Christian, but I thought Jesus was so weird. When you read the Gospels, everyone talked about what a great teacher he was, and, and you know all the little children loved him and went to him and everything. And I read the Gospels, and he'd tell these parables, and they didn't make any sense. And people would come to him, you know, the, the lady comes to him to be healed, and he says, "Well, you know, we don't we don't feed the child, the dogs, the stuff that's meant for the children." I said, "Who is this guy? I mean, what? <laughs> this is so weird." eat my flesh and drink my blood I, mean, I was just like all of those folks i read that stuff i said i didn't re- i mean i believed that he was the christ whatever that meant but i didn't know what to do with it i just thought boy this is really this is really strange and i i could read paul talking about grace and and forgiveness and all of that stuff and i thought this is great now i can identify with this justified by faith i like that that sounds really good and then I kept coming across that Paul describes himself as an apostle of Jesus, and that he's saying what Jesus was saying. And I would go and look in the Gospels, and I was saying, it doesn't look anything like what Paul was saying. This is totally different stuff. So, for me, one of the very important steps along the way as a believer was to come to terms with Jesus and to recognize, in fact, that he is the king, He is the teacher. In fact, what he was teaching in the Gospels is exactly what Paul was teaching and Peter was teaching and so on. There is no discontinuity between them. And it's not that Paul who really knows what's going on, it's Jesus who really knows what's going on. That has been a revolution in my own mind. But yeah, um, one more thing in answer to your question then. See, I do believe that a person could become could repent, become a child of God, without being a Christian, in the sense that I have bowed the knee to God like what I did, only I don't know yet and understand yet that Jesus is a part of the picture. But I have repented and bowed the knee to God and said, you know, I'm, I want to know life. I want to find forgiveness and life from you. And then the, along the way, I'm going to come to understand that Jesus is the one through whom that comes. We use the word Christian to mean someone who's going to heaven, someone who's saved. That's not the way the Bible uses it, and that's not really the way we should use it, I don't think. A Christian is someone who believes that Jesus is the Christ. Some Christians are not going to heaven because they have this doctrine that they believe that Jesus is the Christ, but they haven't really embraced it inside. And there have been many people, certainly in the Old Testament, who we will find in the kingdom of God who never believed that Jesus was the Christ because they didn't have the opportunity to. And, and along the way, any, any one of us could struggle with that question, who's Jesus, before we finally settle it. Okay, there were more hands. Let me see, uh, right here.
0: I have a lot of questions, but... Um, where do people get the idea that once saved, always saved, and... Um, well, I guess I just start with that simple question okay, okay.
1: yeah, there's a lot to be said with that, and um, i'm I hope that i'll have an opportunity to address that more as we go along, but um, that <coughs> that issue of once saved always saved The problem is that we have to be clear what in what sense we're talking about things. Speaking for myself, in one sense, I believe once saved, always saved, and in another sense, I don't. It depends on which way we're talking about it. The way in which I don't believe it is the idea that somehow just because I am a Christian now means that that means therefore that I am saved and there's no question about whether I would be saved. The biblical picture is one that my heart is ultimately going to be revealed through the testing of my faith. That whether there's something real going on in me is is something that will show itself over time. And many people who who claim to know Jesus and believe in Jesus at a certain point in time may stop doing that later on or lose interest or whatever. And it, it's not true that because they said, I believe in Jesus here, that means they're saved even though they abandoned him and said, I'm not interested anymore. That that kind of picture of once saved, always saved is just not biblical and not true, I don't think. But the problem is we get it confused with the other picture, which I do believe in, which is the the idea that if that reality is going on in my heart, then I am a child of God and God has His hand on me and I will not ultimately be lost. That is the picture. It's not that I, I can become a genuine child of God regenerated by the Holy Spirit um, and then somewhere along the line stop being regenerated by the Holy Spirit and, and, and fall out of salvation. I believe that the Bible's picture is that when God has his hand on you, he does not let go. But we get confused by that because I don't have the direct evidence of uh, that God's hand being on a particular person. What I experience is, you know, life as it occurs to me. Here's a person who believes for a while, then they don't. Here's another person who believes, but they don't seem to really... Make much of it. Here's another person who really seems to have embraced it, and you can see them living it out in their life, and so on. There, it's I'm dealing with the the phenomena, if you will. I'm dealing with the outer. How does it look? How's it playing itself out in life? And there, that's I, I don't have a window on other people's souls. I barely have a window on my own soul, really. So, in that sense, I can't be cocky. I have, to, I have to continue to believe and follow Jesus. That's what I'm called to do. Now, back behind the scenes, I think those who genuinely turn to Jesus, I mean, as Jesus describes it, um, no one can come to him unless the Father draws them, and of the ones that come to him, he doesn't lose a one. So in that sense, yes, if Jesus has his hand on you, then you will be saved. But we still, today, I mean, I'm facing the choice. Am I, going to, am I going to be faithful in following Jesus? If I do, it's ultimately because the hand of God is upon me, but I still face that choice. There's a lot more we could say. I'll, maybe we'll have a chance to deal more with that.
0: Some people would say what you're describing partly is... Um would see that as works than having to uh, work your way into heaven you know by it's a continual decision then it's um, works also instead of faith right
1: Right. and I I know that some people would say that and that comes about I think from a confusion over what we mean by works because what I'm, I'm descri- what i 'm describing is we could describe it as faith, but faith is actually believing that this is true for myself and and embracing the implications of it i mean if the, the, make an analogy like um somebody tells me the building is on fire. If I believe them, then I will run out of the building and and grab people and say, come on, let's get out of here. Well, so did I save myself by works? Well, I did something. I ran out of the building. And if I hadn't run out of the building, I would have burned up. But I ran out because I believed. <laughs> so... I think the biblical picture is of belief as being the sort of thing that if I genuinely believe it, I can't help but act on it. I'm not being saved by my actions because I haven't, my actions aren't good enough to save me. I mean, if I, if I persevere in following Jesus as my teacher, that doesn't make me a good person who deserves to go to heaven. It just makes me a person who has a genuine faith that has not let go. But a genuine faith that has not let go is going to do certain things in this life. So there's a there's a, a lot that could be said about that. There's a really good book on that topic. I'll let you know about it sometime. Okay, I saw a hand back there. Catherine, I think.
0: Um, your description of becoming a Christian has focused almost entirely on the decision that has to be made by us. Mm-hmm. But it seems like another part of the picture is that true believers are those people in whom God is working to make them the kind of person whose eyes are open and whose heart is open to the truth. And you kind of just addressed that in your answer to the last question. Right. I guess the question I have that's kind of behind that is when it comes to situations where people um, don't have the opportunity to live out their faith and really even necessarily intellectually make that choice and be able to express it. I'm thinking of a case, you know, if you have a young child that dies, then they haven't necessarily right. been intellectually mature enough to make that decision to follow Jesus, but they may be the kind of person who's still saved, or a person who maybe has a conversion right at the end of their life. How? What would you say about those right. kinds of cases? Right.
1: Um, I know I didn't address the the question of God working in our heart and all that kind of stuff. And it's, it's kind of deliberate that I didn't. As we go along, I definitely want to bring that sort of thing out. But what I'm, what I'm trying to emphasize is that being a Christian is not the whole story. <laughs> if the question is, how do you become a Christian? To be a Christian is to be a one who believes that Jesus is the Christ and to follow him. To be, to be his student, to be his disciple, and to follow him and, and live life in the light of what he teaches. That's what being a Christian is. But like I was saying to, in answer to Robbie's questions, the set of people who, is going, who are going to be in the kingdom of God and the people, the set of people who are Christians, that's not the same group. So there's, there are a lot of different ways that a person might end up in the kingdom of God besides having a conscious awareness that Jesus is the Christ and making that decision and so on. There are those in the Old Testament who did not ever know that. There are those who died before they have the opportunity to even be confronted with that question. What happens to them and how God decides their fate, we have not been told. But presumably... God will decide their faith, their fate based on his mercy and his justice, and we, we can trust him to make the right choice as to what happened there. But see, I'm not saying that this is the way you get into the kingdom of God is by becoming a disciple of Jesus. The question I'm answering is, how do you become a Christian? <laughs> and becoming a Christian in the biblical terms is that. You and I don't really have a choice at this point. God is, given all that you have heard and been confronted with, you really don't have a leg to stand on to go to God and say, well, you know, I I didn't believe the Jesus stuff, but, you know, I, I was a good person. I mean, it's not going to work that way. But making that decision is not, that's not the only way of of making this happen, like I say. Now, there's the controversial questions. What about the person out in the bush in Africa that never heard about Jesus and that kind of stuff? And we can talk about that. But we already know, in principle, it's not that salvation comes through the door of knowing about Jesus. There are lots of people who are going to be in the kingdom of God. We know, everybody could agree, that there are a lot of people who are going to be in the kingdom of God who never had that particular opportunity. But the question I'm asking, answering here is, you who are facing this decision, here's this Bible, and people are telling you, become a Christian. What does it mean to become a Christian? And that's the question I've tried to answer this morning, is if you're going to become one, this is what it looks like, I think. We're really late. I know there were other hands up, but I just invite you to come up afterwards here or, or ask next time.